anything that we do is me customizing that according to how I would shoot it. But I also, I want to customize the consumer experience because the whole ethos, the whole nucleus of knock on is getting people better in archery. Looking at your climbing spurs. That reminds me. I've got a set of those. I used to hunt out of them. Really? Yeah, I used yeah. All we we never had like screw in steps when we had the very first like lock on stands. We just had the lock ons and then my uncle gave me climbing spurs. Really? Yeah, when I was twelve or thirteen. And that's kind of what we do. We so just you'd, we just call it running up a tree. So you would climb up every morning that way? Yeah. Yeah. There was no like climber stands then. So you'd literally just run up the tree with a belt and then put a lock on on go down and get your stuff and go back up really and then and then and you didn't have screw in steps or nothing no you just did that it was yeah. like pre like old man like before the old yeah you know rubber hosed climbing stands i tell my i i actually asked my dad here a while back i was like how did you allow me to do like what I did as a kid because my parents didn't hunt yeah. and we lived kind of like this place here. We lived in a river bottom. So I could just walk from the house back into the river bottom and set up stands. And I, I got garage sale tree stands, like bought them for probably 10 bucks somewhere. <laughs> yeah, dude. And I have, and I was a kid. I have no idea how those stands stayed in the trees or how we're alive. A hundred percent. And no in reach or cell phone, or if I would have fallen out, they wouldn't have missed me until the middle of the night. <laughs> I know. And I would steal nails out of his, like, not steal, but I mean, I'd take nails out of, like, his nail shed. Yeah. And, like, hanging on a tree, and I, like, pound those into the tree, and then they're, like, bending, so, like, you're pulling yourself up because you don't want all your weight on your little spikes, you know, because you're, it was crazy. So, so the first, um, the first time I, I bought, like, myself a tree stand, it was more than I had money for. So I didn't have enough to like get my tree pegs. And I was like looking at a bunch. I was at a Gander Mountain and they were all like in boxes. And there was like, yeah. If you remember the first screw in pegs, they were, yes. they were like, I th didn't they say like easy peg? And they were never like, none of them were never real easy to get in, by the way. But I remember having to pre drill the tree. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so there was like, these like really big ones that were like whatever they were back then, like say five bucks a piece. And then there was like another box that was like three bucks a piece. And the guy was like, those are a lot harder to get in the tree. He said, that's why the more expensive ones goes that point, you'll like really appreciate it. So I was like, okay, thanks. And then once he left, I kind of went like, I'm just going to get these right here for buck 50. Yeah. Well, I went and like, screwed on the first four to like then go up but as soon as i put my foot on the first one it just bent flat to the tree <laughs> because they were all just they were all bow holders <laughs> oh really yeah. <laughs> yeah i was like you know maybe a teenager i don't know like you know i was probably like 13 or 14 yeah so i just and my dad wasn't taking me hunting either so i was like going on my own so i literally had the rut the red rubber coated yes like garage hangers and that was like what i thought was going to be my tree pegs until obviously all the first four bent flat to the tree and that was it and then I, I had to go back to the climbing spurs i generally picked my trees based on 
which ones I thought I could use the branches best to climb up. <laughs> like it wasn't based on scrapes I found or, you know, it was like near a trail, but yeah, it was, it's crazy. How did your, how is more of us not dead? I like, have no, and I didn't have a harness. No, no. I watched, um, I watched a, I used to record on like the VHS. Yeah. The one on your shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've got like a tape of that. Me and my, my buddy that still works at uh, Matthews and uh, I was like watching these old videotapes of us and we were like, I filmed him going up to get into the tree because we were like building hunting show, like not shows, but we were filming ourselves. Right. And I'm like, dude, we were just running 25 foot up a tree holding a bow. Yep. Holding your rattling, rattling antlers, using limbs half the time. Yep. Like single chain on. Yep. Like when I was watching the, these like old home videos a couple of years ago, I was just like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> like how I, it's almost like those people you see on the buildings. It's like, it's not in your brain that this is stupid. Yeah. So no. You're just doing it. You're just running up trees. Going up, going down a couple times, go up to get your bow, go down. I remember trying to get like the link connected and you couldn't quite get it. So you, then you back <laughs> off and then your your stand is like They were the hanging. worst, dude. <laughs> they were the worst. Hang-ons back then, especially the chain, it was you were either like one chain, you were either half a link short or you yeah. were one bad shift on the stand and that well, was it. What would happen too is like you'd find the perfect one. Like you'd you'd lock your link in like perfect and you get in there and you you hunt it all season and it like settles down the tree a little and then yeah. you go to try to get it off the tree and it's like welded to the tree because <laughs> it's like sunk down from your weight. Oh yeah. And the tree grew and it wiggled and like trying to get those stands off the tree. With the Most chain people in. didn't. No, and you're you're right. I actually, I'll bet you money. You walk back there. There's still some of those old stands for sure. Because there, I I cannot believe how many times I'll go to a brand new like area and I'll scout. I'll kind of scout just based on appearance, or I'll scout based on like what I see on my hunt wise or whatever. And then I'm like, this is the spot. And then you'll go there and take freaking two hours, like get the perfect stand in place and then you're sitting there for like the first 20 minutes and you look over and like there's an old lock on like two feet away and you're like yeah why didn't i just walk around and look because this is the old timers new yeah i mean it seems like the old time there's always remnants of a stand yep in like timeless good spots at least for white tails it's a hundred percent true there's several back here behind our house where my boy walks back there and hunts how 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 did you, I mean, you, you were a kid and you were back then doing it same as me with a tree stand trying to figure it out. Who, who did, did you have some guys in town that you were asking questions of or mentoring you a little bit or like who got you into it? Um, my grandfather and my uncle got me into hunting the most. My uncle, Kenny, who I think a lot of people who watch what we do have seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely mentored me and my cousin both. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad, um, just coming back from, you know, what he went through and, and Nam and everything, he just, we would do some outdoor stuff, but it, you know, wasn't like his thing. Right. Whereas I just like could not get enough of it. 
Right. It was. It was. It just consumed me. You know, any type, any any type of shooting just consumed me. It really did. Really. Bows and rifles, guns. Yeah, I loved it. I worked so like one of my first jobs was um, in a in a trap house. You know, I'd be because I could if I loaded clays all day, I got two boxes of shells and two rounds at the end of the weekend. So I'd just sit in that little house, you know, and it'd be yeah. like, and then you'd just be like, and it flip around. And then as it's like, you're like dropping another one on there and getting back again, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah, that was one of my first deals just so, and then on Sunday I could, I could shoot two 25 rounds, like with my shotgun. I had, you know, 870 express, yep. baby. Yep. Remington oh, yeah. yeah, the old I'm, pump. Yep. I'd be out there just, Pumping that sucker, dude. Dude, those guns, my buddy had a Remington 870, and I had like a Mossberg 500 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, he they had a ranch about 30 miles from where where I lived. And I, I'd go over there, and his grandpa, his grandpa was actually the Marlboro man. Just this old cowboy they found at a rodeo. Took pictures of him in like 1940. And all of a sudden, he got like a letter saying, hey, do you mind if we use these pictures and blah, 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 because he was smoking a cigarette running the shoot gates at, at the Augusta Rodeo. So he's literally... Literally the, the Marlboro Man. Oh, my God. And so, anyway, they had this ranch and whatnot, but he had all his old shotgun reloading stuff up in his the roof of their house. And my buddy... And there again, I don't remember anybody showing us how to do it, but we would go up and load shotgun shells like all night. Yeah. And then... They had these giant culverts full of swallows, and yeah, the swallows oh. just make those mud nests, you yeah. know? And he'd stand on one end of the culvert on this county road, and I'd stand on the other end, and we'd shoot swallows, like, all day because <laughs> they just keep coming back to their nest. But they fly a million miles an hour, and they're <laughs> t- tiny. And we'd pick up all our shells, and we'd go back to the house, and we'd load all night long, and we'd go back to a different culvert the next day. But I remember that that old Mossberg and that old Remington Dude, those things were, we abused those thousands of rounds through those things. I had some, uh, me and some of my friends, this was back when I worked at Matthews too. Uh, we had some, we had some t-shirts made up that I forget what they said. Cause we had like an embroidery department, in Matthews. I think we made up some shirts that said like, I thought it said like, it either said PETA or it said like pet like P-E-T, mm-hmm. and so we'd go and knock on people's doors, and we would just say, you know, hey, we're here from 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 PET, and we're here to do a pigeon extraction, and they're like, what? And then we just say, yeah, we offer a service where we do pigeon extraction from all your barns and everything, because it's, it's dairy land, you know, back where we were from, and so they would always just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll do that. That's cool. So <laughs> we just have our shirts and we'd go up into the, you know, into those old barns. And normally yeah. where you got that one shoot on the end, you know, everyone would just get out there, their plugs out and then be like, all <laughs> yeah. right, here they come. You just start chucking stuff up and get those pigeons coming out. And it was just like, pull, here Dude, comes one. Boom. Boom. Uh, when you, you said that, it reminded me so much of that, the old wooden plug. Take the wooden <laughs> plug out. I know. First thing, get rid of that. Yeah. But don't lose it because during duck season, you had to have it in because uh, you can only have three shots yeah. you know, during during waterfowl. But, man, for pigeons and – but that's hilarious you guys were doing that. Man. Yeah, because I remember uh, actually we went 
me and the and the PET team. Uh, <laughs> Because we would we'd slay like trucks. That was the original knock on knocking on doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. So I remember uh, we went out duck hunting, and I was like sitting there, and I like you know loaded one in the top, and then put one in the bottom, another one in the bottom, and I kind of like just put my fi- normally I'd put my finger in, you know, to check to see if you had your second in there because yep. it would like stop about half thumb deep. Yep, and it just like kept going. So I like slid another one in there and i go oh man i don't have my plug i didn't realize you can just break a stick off and yeah you know we just put a stick in there so i'd be yeah legal so i may when i was a kid in high school may have may have done some duck and goose hunting with the plug in my pocket <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're the yeah. guy in the blind just keeps boom boom <laughs> yeah oh there was man. just never like i feel like there wasn't as much um accessible information for rules too yeah i definitely i definitely did things i didn't know like were a serious yeah and i mean not like super serious but there's certain that's that's one of the scariest things for me as a hunter hunting multiple states is that there is not a universal game law Mm -hmm. i mean that's it's kind of confusing you know it's like you go you go to one state and you have to sign your tag as soon as you shoot or yeah. notch the tag. Some of them you have to have it signed before you go. And if you sign it, then you validated it. You know, whereas if you're in that other state where you're not supposed to do it till after, you have a pre-validated, it's not legal. Like there's just all those and then with the lighted knocks and then well, and where and, 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 and wearing like even with wearing orange, like in one one state, so many cubic inches of orange and then the next state you walk literally across the state line now you have to have an orange hat on mm-hmm. i mean and it's weird because and it's actually really scary as you know a brand owner you know if you accidentally commit that and now you have a game violation and it's like oh john dudley of knock on committing yeah. game violations and it's like it's, it sounds terrible <laughs> yeah you know but it's it would be so easy to have happen it's definitely it it definitely crosses my mind. Like it'd be it'd be easy to make an, an honest mistake. Like I used to hunt um, right where South Dakota and Montana meet. I I what I would do is I'd hunt one side based on if there were antelope on this side of the road, I'd be hunting South Dakota. If there were antelope on that side of the road, I'd be hunting Montana. Yeah. So I was like having to remember every single time because i was always hunting in a blind if i go to the montana side i'd have to take my sight light off yeah and take my lighted knocks out so i had like a quiver with regular knocks and then i would like but honestly in my opinion lighted knocks and having a light for your pin they actually help you be more ethical because one they confirm shot placement especially out here where there's ranchers being able to find your arrow is important like you know, a freaking big tractor tire on some of these. Yeah, some of these freaking machines they've or got. Just their cows know? walking around. If there's For a sure. broad broadhead laying in their field, um, ends up in the foot of a horse or a cow or, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's uh, and I I don't actually know here again. Like this is an example of it. I actually don't know. I thought lighted knocks got passed as okay here i think now. it's every i think every state i just heard 
I think I think our legal now. No- yeah, I think lighted knocks are a go. But I know sight Don't lights. Don't hold me to that. Sight that lights, was secondhand information. I think sight lights though are still illegal here. You know. Yeah, it's a weird rule because it's um, the way it's worded. I don't like any game law that's at the discretion of the officer mm-hmm. because, you know, although I've got officers that are freaking awesome and I tell people all the time, you know, if I'm going to a new place, first thing I do is I call the local warden. I'll call the main office and I'll say, hey, who's the warden for such and such county? And they'll tell me and I'll call them and say, hi, I'm John Dudley. You know, I'm going to be coming hunting. Is there any common things that you should tell me about. I want to make sure I'm following the rules. They yeah. really appreciate that. And a lot of times they're offering, you know, how to help too. Yep. So, but yeah, there's, there's like these small words. So like, I think in Montana, I called one time several years ago because I think it said, um, no electronical device to aid in the taking a game. Right. Right. I think that's how it read. Yep. So I asked about sight light. I asked about lighted knocks, but then I'm like, so can I use a rangefinder? Because a rangefinder is battery operated and it definitely aids and right. And they're like, Oh yeah, for sure. And I just said, Okay, well Yeah. We're like Yeah, you know, that is an electronic device. Like, what about my flashlight? But but well, what I Yeah, we accept they'll they won't write you a ticket for that one. They'll accept that one. I'm like, okay, well that kinda is a bummer where there's not like yeah. A clear list of like what you can have. And with the rangefinders, here again, I don't I don't have one of these just yet, but with the rangefinder deal, now there's that software that communicates from the rangefinder to your rifle scope. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you rangefind it, it'll enter in your dope and all your stuff into your scope and give you your drop. I mean, you're basically it adjusts your uh where your crosshairs hit. And I'm pretty sure that's actually illegal in Montana. Um, yeah, that I communication could, could, because your scope, yeah. and again, I think it's, uh, like having a battery battery in your scope or in, on your sight light, like anything battery operated, yeah. like you said, a range finder is okay. But then all of a sudden a range finder that talks to your scope is not. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets, it gets weird, you know, it gets, and then, you know, the different rules out there in different States with silencer, you know, with, uh, you know, suppressors. Yeah. And, I could imagine. I, I mean, I don't. I've literally never. You have a suppressor on your bow? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's pretty quiet as it is. Um, But no, I couldn't imagine, like, even on the gun side, I guess it would be. Even more rules. Yeah, Yeah. even more rules. Yeah. I don't like that. And you're right. Back when we were coming up hunting, there was no, I mean, you really only got the information either in your little book, if you read it, or from the guy you were, like, learning from. You know, but if you were learning from a real cowboy, yeah, you could be led astray as a fifteen-year-old in a hurry. Yeah, you um, you grow up in the Mississippi Delta with your kin telling you the rules <laughs> when yeah. you know you're kind of just out in the middle of who's the government to tell me what I can do? <laughs> Trailer Parkville, yeah, yeah. No, my first, uh, my first like hunting experience with my dad was actually uh he he got me like a a 22 marlin i remember i was maybe six or i know i was six because at seven we left but i remember we just like go park on top of a bridge and this is down in the mississippi delta we'd park on top of a bridge 
he'd kind of sit on the back of the truck drinking a beer and I would just be sitting there shooting turtles. And when I'd shoot a turtle, you know, if it float up, he'd just kind of be like, all right, you know, put that safety on. And he'd like go down there and like go down there on the sandbar and grab that thing. You know? Really? But yeah, cause we grew up, I mean, he like, we gigged frogs and yeah. turtles and brim, like, and catfish was like a pretty staple part of the diet in, yeah. in like a bologna sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Plain bologna. That's yeah. very different than, than currently. A little different than elk and whitetail. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, speaking of elk and whitetail and all that, uh, season is right around the corner now. Um, do you have some, do you have some pretty good hunts coming up you're excited about? Well, I'm I'm hoping for some last minute cancellations. Um, I was zero for ten drawing, so I had to buy a couple tags this year. I'm gonna go back to Canada again. I always like Canada. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a a bow hunting mecca, I think. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna have to just see how it plays out. I have a few tags um, that I'm doing with you know a few friends, but I'm hoping, which normally happens. People call and say, hey, you know, I don't know what your schedule's like, but this person can't come. They've already paid their deposit, so, you know, you can get this thing for half the price or whatever. I normally bake on the fact of I don't have to put in for vacation, thankfully. Like, my calendar is... Hunting. Yeah, my calendar is I'm going to be somewhere, and if not, I'm going to be, like, recuperating and hoping Sharon feeds me something so I can, like be on a normal schedule because yeah once hunting season goes i'm like i'm grinding i'm i'm gone a lot well speaking of grinding i mean (laughs) your your tax schedule uh it's insane dude when i when i watch when i look online i'm like i don't know how you guys do it i mean and and not not just you up on the mountain shooting but then you're also packing a booth along and yeah employees and the whole nine yards i mean what did you start in april march march i think i think yeah, I want to think Mar- March was Oklahoma. Yeah, really. Yeah, and we miss a few. There's one. There's one that overlaps uh, my anniversary, and then another one. No, two other ones. I can't have a knock on range. Last year we went and took over Black Rifles Range in South Dakota, but we can't have our own range at a couple of the venues because I can't hold an extra one. So yeah, you know, and and honestly, it gets tough. You know, it gets tough when there's two or three events in a month and we're running a business and and I also like I have a lot of things that I do that aren't knock on I mean you know I I work for a lot of other companies as an independent or as a consultant so you know my time is like stretched out even more than what people see that's actually the part that I'm trying to figure out how to balance myself and I I I kind of marvel at how you guys do it because, you know, the, the, it looks glamorous and it is, it is cool. It's fun to go to these events, need to meet the people, but like every, this entire time you're gone, there's also a business back at home that needs managed and needs yeah. run. Yeah. Like that's a real, it's a machine. Yeah, yeah. It's a machine that's going and, and yeah, it's just, it's like little things when you're not there, you're relying on the team to do it. But then all of a sudden you come back and, realize like 
no one ordered tape or something. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like something stupid. You know, it'll be like yeah. it'll be something small or you know, or just it like for me if I'm doing R and D on a bow, like I need honestly R and D on any type of archery product. It means that I have to put years of use through it in like three weeks time. Right. You know, right. like and and back at a lot of the bow companies I work for, we have cycle machines to where, you know, they can, you can life cycle a bow like right. f- through a full life cycle. But on some of the stuff that actually requires shooting, not just pulling, you know, mm-hmm. there's machines that pull and there's machines that'll, that'll like grab an arrow, pull back, let go. Like there's some machines that do that too, but there's certain things that, you know, you still have to manually like put in the, yeah. the effort for. Yeah. And, and honestly, Especially like, for example, like the Levitate, the Unite, the Embark. I mean, you got to remember when I got those bows, it means I need to like check the poundage on the limbs, check the string cable lengths. Then I'm like, I would like adjust the serving length so that like on our bows, I really like the cable serving coming down to where people can feed a cable through there or a rest cable through there, rest cord. Yep. Um, and not have to tie in another part of, you know, tie that thing in. I'm like trying to, I try to make it like out of the package friendly for, for consumers, but also for dealers too. And those little details take a ton of time. I mean, it's probably like, you know, imagine you having to like redo a new sheath for every single Right. Every single time you had a like a new knife, you're having to like really put that time and thought in there. And then, you know, I'm just we're a small team um, that is very very efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have like someone hired to do packaging. For example, like we just we just relaunched our backstrap release and came out new packaging because I really wanted the packaging more consumer friendly Mm because people have questions about it. So I had to like record some videos to where when they open that up, there's QR codes where they can scan it. Here's how you set it up. Here's maintenance. Here's your first time in the range with it. Here's a day on the practice course. Like, you know, so all those little things, when you see a product, you see like this new product that comes out, you don't realize, you know, we don't, we don't sub that out because I'm, I'm like so into our products. Anything that we do is me, you know, customizing that according to how I would shoot it. But I also, I want to customize the consumer experience because like the whole ethos, the whole nucleus of knock on is getting people better in archery. Right. You know, Free, well, that's free education and getting people better in archery, whether it's with inspiring content or whether it's with custom products. And certainly we work with some companies and we like if there's a great company that makes a good product, I would rather work with that company. Right. Because they have a very good product. And I also feel like I'm kind of showing respect to that to that brand, too, to say, hey, you know, like. For no, some, it's for, it, it's huge. Like when you, you know, when you made that commitment to work with us like that's a big deal you know it it it, because you have a you know so much respect in the industry you you know and also you're you're also putting your name on the line and risking your own reputation whatnot by working with somebody else so like when you decided to work with us last year like that's a big deal and and I can attest to the 
like the time that you put in the involvement, like with our knife that we, we worked on, I mean, the back and forth and the wanting prototypes to feel and the little changes we make to them and stuff like that stuff's really, truly real. It's not like I just had something and you were like, I'll put my name on that. You know, like that, that was very important to you. And it says a lot and it's, it's cool. And that's, I think why people respect so much of what, when you put your name behind something, it's like, you've, you've, you've put time into that product. Yeah. I want to use it. I don't, I don't want to like offer anything that I don't use myself. And that's the thing. Like I could, um, so this, this whole last week I've been on a bit of a bender about arrows and, and it really, it stemmed because when I go to tax, I am seeing grassroots consumers of the industry. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not my friends that work at this company or that company. It's not any of the companies. These are the people that all of us companies are building products for these people. These are the people. Right. So then when I go there and I see that some of these people, um, because I don't always remember, I don't remember names all the time. I'm not, I'm actually not a good name person, period, but. I remember setups like that's the one thing. It's like the thing that I was blessed with and plagued with at the same time is like, I can look at a bow setup and then right away my brain's picking up like what's making them miss. Like I can just, I can see problems, you know, somewhere in the system. Mm -hmm. And when I see someone and I remember their gear and then it comes back and I'm like, Hey, did you change? You know, you went to a new arrow, huh? Yeah, you know, I really wanted to go to 350 grains up front. And I'm just like, all right, cool. And then, you know, and then I'm standing behind them, triple digits, big, you know, I'm watching them at Bigfoot. And it's just like, you know, here comes this arrow that's like, you know, they're, they're like trying to push a load out of a rifle that the manufacturer is building that gun based on a load that they think everyone's going to do really well with. It's kind of like lift kits on a truck, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can level a truck or you can do like four inches in it. But like, once you start going extreme, now it doesn't fit in a parking garage. Now that thing freaking your steering wheels sideways half the time. Start wearing out other parts. yeah, Yeah, it really does. It really does. So that's what I was noticing. And I was watching people. So this year, um, less people hit the dot on Bigfoot than any other year. Like, I mean, I would sit there and like, you know, come on. And people are ma- people have better shot techniques than I've ever seen. Like the amount of people that come up and have technique that I didn't have after ten years in the industry. Like, I'm envious of how awesome people's form and technique are. Yeah, but. The good thing and the bad thing about teaching someone how to work on their own equipment, like there's definitely a good thing. I think people people have to have confidence in their equipment, and if they work on it some, then they have that confidence. Um, but it also like the, the the there's tinkers, you know. There's some people that just they tinker more than they practice. And the thing is, like you know, I can tell you right now, like I love guitars like i you know for during covid um actually I'd, i should have started during covid but it was like the year after covid um i had someone come out um mark shanker from 
kicks came out mm-hmm. and I did a bow, some lessons with them and stuff. And I told them like, the only regret I have is I wish I would have like actually learned to play a guitar. And he's just like, well, why don't you? And I just said, I don't know. I've just never like put my mind to it. And I said, I'm just either all in or all out with stuff. Right. Well, he sent, he sent me a tailor. He sent me like a all black tailor. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm going to commit to this. Yeah. So I have, and I love guitars, you know, and like the only two things I ever buy for myself really are like Air Jordans and sometimes a guitar. And listen, they're, they're all like different. They're all unique, but none of them play themselves. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I can, if, if I don't have the fundamentals, I can't play that instrument. And right. so right now there's a lot of people, I think, in the, you know, in the archery community. The good thing is we're making people push the envelope. Like there's goods and bads. We're making people push the envelope. Like I love how hard tax are and I love that people go out there. I love the fact that you know, people are pumped because they only lost one arrow on a range or some people are just like, I've had the same arrow the whole freaking weekend. Yeah. I mean, that's very different than like at a professional target archery event. Like if like, I don't think I ever like lost an arrow. You (laughs) know what I mean? Like, yeah, I might shoot one and a half. Yeah. I need to turn my pro card in if I like lost an arrow. But the thing is you got to remember like this, this ASA championship that just happened, like that's 50 yard max. So we're pushing double the max of like a pro 3D thing and they're not clear lanes. There's normally trash, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a free for all. People love that challenge and the fact there's that there's not score, but the downside is, you know, it's like, because they're trying to get more out of their equipment, they're playing with their equipment more than they're actually just focusing on technique and well, so, I think I think there's I think actually you you've you've uh, in a way contributed to this problem. <laughs> where, yeah, because you all of your amazing free content has actually and, and and it really is amazing like the amount of teaching and free content that you have out there that no like no one else in the industry is doing that. It's it's unbelievable. And it's such a great resource. But what it's done is it's given people confidence yeah to tinker in their shop all yeah. winter. And like, I'm going to turn this bow into a, like a, a funny car, like a yeah. race machine. Right. And, yeah. and when I go to tack next year, like this thing, it's either going to hit with 4,000 foot pounds of force or it's going to fly <laughs> 4,000 feet a second, like a razor, <laughs> like a laser, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, as I've actually been witnessing it a little bit here at the shop because one of our employees, I'm going to call him out, but Matt, and, and he's doing it for a little different reason. He got a brand new bow, brand new PSE and he wants to learn how to like set it up and tune it. Yep. And so he had a tiny little tear like in the paper that wasn't right. And I was like working around the shop here and my employees will work on their bows like after work. Mm-hmm. So I'm working and I'm walking around here and then I, I'm, I'm walking back by and he's shooting through the paper again and he shoots it and I stop and I look at the target and it's got like a two inch tear. Like he was up and right like an eighth of an inch and now he's down and left like two inches. <laughs> and I was yeah. like... I think you went the wrong way, bud. But he's trying to figure out, and it's funny because he's standing in my shop, literally watching knock-on videos, 
and trying to figure out how to tune and shims and this and that and what he's you know supposed to be doing. And I was also giving him shit because he was watching your video trying to tie a D loop. And uh, he, I think he kept tying it the wrong way, and he fi- finally got it. But the point is, is there's more information than ever. Because, like, when you yeah. and I were coming up, like, the last thing I ever would have done is tear into my bow or buy a press and try to do anything. But they can watch your videos yeah. and start to tinker. But I think what – and I think it's smart with what you're doing on your Instagram right now because they're doing that, but they actually don't quite understand – you know, the mechanics and the physics behind what happens when you start adding weight or different spine, you know, yeah, strength and stuff on arrows. And um, so it's interesting what what you've created and what you've allowed people to do because there's also so many more capable people today than there ever was before, even to just fix your own D-loop or tie yeah. in a peep. Well, you like, know, it's made, it's made like the archery techs that just go in and apply for a job at a shop a lot of them have a very good base. Whereas, you know, when I, when I started at the, my first shop, I didn't know anything. Like the guy's just like, okay, put a new serving on it. I'm like, what's a serving? So I think a lot of these techs that go into the shops, they've got a, a pretty dang good knowledge, but yeah, the, I mean, with information comes like, there's that carrot of some people really want to like go up in I guess just popularity or or rank or or how they're viewed so it's like clickbait becomes part of the you know I actually was with with someone two years ago that's that's you know pretty well-known youtuber and he just told me he's like you know you'd get way more views like you need to like you need more clickbait stuff and he's just like, you know, and 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 he kind of gave me an example based on something that I had. And I just said, yeah, that's not me, dude. Yeah. You know, I, I like, you know, I, we've had people, we've had people come to the company and they, you know, they come in with like, they think is this new idea of, you know, like, hey, if you monetize your platform. Right. You're, and I'm just like, stop. Right. You know, I, I worked my butt off in the industry and I worked for some really good companies. And I mean, and like I work for company, you know, JDA is the business that no one really knows about, but JDA works for several businesses. And I'm like, I bust my ass for that. So I don't have to charge people for knock on like knock on is my passion project. Yeah. And luckily you can, you can see it like when you're on the mountain, and it's one of the things, the other things that I marvel at, like I, I, I've camped next to you, like in Utah last year, um, and you're leaving the camper at like crazy early in the morning. I mean, I was taking Sharon up to the, to the, uh, to the vendor village because you were gone an hour and a half early to get to the course because you wanted to meet the first shooter, shooting group on yeah, that. And, normally- then, and then you're up there all day on that knock-on course shooting with literally every single group that comes by and it like when you see the amount of knock on hats and shirts and it, it's uh it like comes across that you truly actually want to help people. Cause no, nobody else does that. I think, I think people are fighting for a pecking order, which is natural. Like as a shooter growing up, I had to do that. Like when I, when I grew up, you know, Randy Ulmer was the poster child, mm-hmm. you know, 
Jeff Hopkins was like the poster child. And there was, you know, there was a, a few women, but like those were the people that were on archery posters and, you know, Chuck Adams, like those were the right. people. And so I was just trying to like figure it out. And honestly, I thought like if I win some titles, I can get some clout. And luckily for me, right before I turned pro, um, this lady, Leah Lonnie, who wrote, who was the, the editor of 3D Times magazine. So there used to be a magazine, a 3D, pro 3D magazine called 3D Times. And inside that was, there was, every state was listed and every 3D shoot within that state for that month. So it was like a monthly magazine. Well, when I went to turn pro, um, I was sleeping out of my car. You know, I, well, it was, it was a, truck so I slept out of my truck and I would normally go to the event and I would just be sleeping like out of my vehicle at this event and I was 18 or 19 whatever it was um so Leilani came up and she's just like hey have you ever like written before and I I and honestly I said yes but I like I don't even know how I passed the English in high school. If I wasn't a fo- if I wasn't the athlete I was, I would have never passed English. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just like I don't even remember going, but I remember this one time for our writing thing, we had we had an assignment on how to write a short story. And it was like this outline of okay, you have to have an introductory paragraph and within the introductory paragraph you have to grab their attention. You have to sum up what your subtopics are in the in the body of your thing Mm -hmm. um you need to give them one lead in at the end of your opening paragraph give them one lead in and then you go into your subtopics and your actual material and then you need a conclusion paragraph that pretty much wraps up the purpose of the of your your main subheads and then finish it you know probably finishes off your attention getter Mm -hmm. like that's literally a ninth grade, like how to write a story assignment. That's my right. Like when people say, dude, I love how simple your writing is. That's what it is. So she just said, you know, have you ever written before? And I said, yeah. Cause I mean, I'd, I'd wrote that one paper. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I started a column called rookie on tour. So all I was doing was documenting like what it was like to be a rookie so I was saying, like, you know, got to this event, realized, you know, probably should have got here early, you know, barely got out on the court. You know, it was kind of just like telling a, a yeah, story of what journal. was really going on. But with that, I was also, like, going up to some of the – it gave me the ability to, like, go up to some pro shooters and be like, hey, Mr. Ulmer, um, I'm I'm writing this, this article, you know, rookie on tour, so – uh, can you tell me what you did to like prepare for this event? You know, yeah. and I would like use that as my method to like try to drag some information out of these people. Right. And, and that's honestly, that was how it started. I just kept like, honestly following Randy Omer around all the time. And eventually I shot with him at like a pro-am the day before I was still an amateur. Uh, let me think. Yeah, I was an amateur actually. Um, and I got put on Randy's team, and we shot together. And then at the end, he he kind of told me, he's like, kid, you can, you have the drive to be what you want to be, but he's like, until you stop punching that trigger, 
Yeah. You're never going to get where you want to be. And so he took a release out of his pouch and he gave it to me, which was like the, it was a Revenger that he had like kind of customized, which I still have. And so I learned how to make a surprise shot with that thing. And once I learned how to make a surprise shot, I just like unlocked this whole new level of archery life. Yeah. And literally just prior to that, I had started at Matthews, you know, we were a small company I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like the first building was like this big, dude. Really? Well, and that wasn't the first. Yeah. That was like like the shop over there. That was like when the when the location got moved to Sparta. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty much what it was and we were all walking around going like what are we going to do with all this space? And then next thing you know, you know and and like I, f- I found a few people this last uh, this last season as well that had old Matthews that had my initials on there because, you know, when you're at a company and you're going through growth phase, everybody in the company has to do every job, right? You know, and 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 we tell people that all the time, you know, where we're at too. I'm like, you know, I I want to jump in there sometimes and like see some of this stuff because you know one a lot of it's di- like a diminishing skill it's mm-hmm. a perishable skill but yeah it was it was crazy to go through that growth and have to be part of like building bows and then you know some days you may have to ship them heck right. I remember I remember um building bows so the the Matthews LX Originally that, so this is weird. Originally that bow um, was going to be a two-track single cam. It was two tracks. So we had all the parts done. This is literally three days before ATA show. And back then, all products were launched at ATA. And in my opinion, if the ATA ever wants to resurge itself, the main focus has to be getting the ATA show in the window of time to where bow manufacturers need to launch their bows. Yeah. Because then people went to the ATA show. No dealers knew what was new. They were running the booths to see what was new and to try to get their name on the order. And like at that time, I remember when the doors would open the ATA show, like the Matthews booth, we were always at the far back. You could feel the air pressure pushing on you from humans like coming yeah and so we're only a few days out from the ata show launching this lx no one knows what the new bow is we've got like catalogs done posters done everything and if you go back you might be able to notice this but it was a two cam it was it was actually the genesis cam okay is what it originally was well we built them and as you know in production what you do with prototypes, once you actually start putting that together on a floor, bugs start to pop up. Right. Like, hey, this screw won't align or like just all this weird stuff because now you're making stuff out of fixtures. And if a fish fixture shifts in a machine and all of a sudden right. like, right? So oh. we've been like, that's part of, yeah. that's part of the beginning to production. So three days before the ATA, it might've been two we build these bows and like, and we built, you know, a hundred, hundred bows. And it was like me and, you know, our bow builders and Joel Maxfield, like we're building these bows. And then at the end of the night, midnight, two in the morning, 
like someone went to pull a bow back and like her and we had turned the music off and all the machines were turned off in the building and all of a sudden it was like like this click oh shit and we're like what the heck is that so like everyone's got their ears down by the thing and then we just started grabbing bows off the thing and it was like <laughs> holy cow we have to call matt matt comes running in He's like looking at it, and there was, I don't know, it was something to do with with the two cam track, and how it, like once it had to be put in a fixture and actually machined, there was something that was not going to work, and so like a long story short, in the matter of forty eight hours, Matt completely redesigned the cam to a three track cam. We started cutting at like two in the morning to cut these hundred cams all all the same draw length literally went so like all of our catalogs and everything are a two-track cam like that's that's the deal yeah you know it's like take up and freaking strength you know power and take up are like on the same it looked like a genesis cam is what it was well and that's what people don't understand there's the manufacturing side but we actually brandon's in here running the the board over here but he does all our marketing imagine the marketing nightmare Oh, I dude. mean, the marketing department would be like, what are you talking about? Like, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so we, we literally have the machine shop cutting cams. They say that they can have those cams done by like 10 in the morning. Our purchasing guy, Norm, gets the cams, drives them to Minnesota like the next day, gets them anodized. Or we, I think we had to powder coat them so that they would be done. Like, I think we had to, like, powder coat them fast. So get the cams done. He drives back. So then we've got to strip every bow yeah, and rebuild. And so then we put them all in into uh, this truck and trailer, which was actually Matt's um, gospel singing. Like, it was his road, road truck. And so... Me and Brandon had to drive. We literally drove in to the ATA show at like 6 a.m. And everyone from the company was running out, grabbing bow boxes and carrying bow boxes through the show to like, that's it. To like set the, up. Yeah. And there, and there's like the new bow. And it was like that chaotic. So I think, you know, I think just coming up through like, for me, it's been a blessing because I really didn't, I wasn't like awesome. I didn't have great talent. I sucked. I just, you know, I kept going because I didn't like how, I didn't like sucking. Yeah. So I just like, I had to, I had to get better. It was just like a personal thing. So that's why, you know, I like left, left my football and then actually I'd started a shop. Then Matt, then Matt offered me the job. My shop was only like nine months old. Mm-hmm. So I like sell the shop, go up there, turn pro. I'm writing for a publication. I'm, you know, third Matthews sales rep. I'm shooting pro and, you know, and I'm on three different tours, like living yeah. out of my car. Like that's, that's how it started. So for me, it's like, I was that guy. And so right. everything I, the, the nucleus of every single thing I've worked for. And honestly, at this point, Sharon too, because knock on wouldn't knock on can't happen without Sharon. 
because, right. you know, I'm doing everything people see, you know. Right. That's like everything. But when it comes to the products and all that stuff, like Sharon was the one that said, like, you can't be shooting stuff that no one can get. Right. Like, bring it out, bring it out because I'm answering more emails about why does John use this or that. So right. that was how it started. And when I go to tack, I literally see like, there's guys that walk up and I'll be like, looking a little rough, bro. And he's just like, yeah, I slept in my car, you know, yeah, I had to sleep in my, you know, couldn't get a B and B here. They're too expensive. I figured yeah. I'd sign up for three days and just sleep out of the truck. And I'm like, okay, I met a f- a several people doing that. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, these are my people. Yeah. These are my people. So this past year, yeah, um, when I or this past year, I guess, when I saw people kind of going backwards because they were like diving too deep in the in the technical wormholes of arrows, I was kind of just like, All right, everybody, reel this back because here's right. the thing. This is what I this is what I told you. I'm like, you know, when I landed and we were driving over here, if you would have told me that you've got a new 50 pound recurve and you're going to go elk hunting with that thing. And you know, you're shooting 40 pounds of kinetic energy or whatever. I'd just be like, dude, I hope you get one sweet. Yeah. Like we wouldn't even be thinking about this stuff, you know, like, you know, that's like a recurve. You can almost put any arrow you want into a compound and it's already past that. Right. So there's this like major, I don't know. I want to tackle divides right now. I want Mm -hmm. to tackle divides in, you know, whether someone, you know, says that they want to hunt public or private or whether they're DIY or outfitter or whether they're compound or, you know, even trad, like I think trad's cool. Mm -hmm. I just personally, like I did, I hunted one time as a trad archer and I, and I practiced and everything for it. And I remember like, I remember pulling back on this deer and like getting my arrow down there. And as soon as I let go of the string, I just had this horrible feeling of like, I remember thinking, God, I hope that hits this thing. Yeah. It was this feeling of like, I had no idea where my arrow was going to go, but I let it go. Yeah. Like I thought I was making a good shot. You know, it's not like I was taking an unethical shot. It's just, I had I could not have like told you with confidence that this is a ten ring, right? And when I got that feeling, I thought, man, when you're shooting your compound bow, you range it, you put the pin on it, mm-hmm. like you've ethically you've like you've done everything perfect. Now, granted, there's Just some have to tra- execute. There's some trad guys that are like so freaking accurate. I mean, yeah. There's, there's yeah, but I'll bet you they practice more oh, for than sure. almost any compound guy for sure yeah like yeah i mean for you sure you have to yeah you do you, you have do. to but i just remember for me i just didn't like that feeling of like man if i'm gonna be letting go of a string on an animal i want to know where it's gonna go yeah so i just like went back to compound but i still see like why people love a long you know a longbow why people love a recurve why people love olympic style archery why people some people like love the 3d scene you know, hey, that's like that's where I cut my teeth. I get it. I get it. But I'm also like now getting back to the point where at 47, I can't train to to shoot against full time pros. 
I've, right. you know, I'm like trying to run a business. I'm trying to do my personal things for different companies. I'm still trying to write. I'm still trying to do videos. I need well, family time. So it, it's like, it's interesting. Cause like who, who cares as far as like the, with the full-time pros doing their thing and, and doing the competition and like, that's what they do. That's what they're, they're fully dove into. Like I actually look at it, you know, you and I are similar from the standpoint that there's, you know, there's custom knife makers out there making the highest end, most unbelievable custom knives mm-hmm. out there today. And they're better than I am. Like they're, they're, but they dedicate and they've been dedicating the last, you know, number of decades of their life to, to being that good at custom knives. And I mean, you saw, I showed you a custom knife here. Like I can build a pretty nice custom knife. But, yeah, it looked real cool. <laughs> but, but, you know, I've, I've chosen to, to spend a lot of my time and energy into building this brand and MKC. Cause again, and it's somewhat similar, like with your, you do a lot more teaching than I do with knock on, but it did bother me for a lot of years. I was making two and three and $5,000 knives. Right. Yeah. And I would have all these people around Montana ask me, Hey, will you make a knife? Or like, I'd like to get a hunting knife for my kid for Christmas or for my dad or whatever. And it's like, well, damn, if I, if I, if I charge what I need to charge, like it's going to be like a thousand dollar knife, right? Mm-hmm. For, for a 15 year old kid to go hunting. Yeah. And, and then this is like with a, and a dad's wanting to buy this with, it's got a job and he's making 50 grand a year. Right. And yeah. so like that, so then I would like, especially people I know I'd charge a little less, but then I'm not really taking care of my family and doing what I need to do. And it yeah. bothered me that you know, I love making those super high-end custom knives, but it also bothered me that people I felt like didn't really have a high, high quality option at an affordable price. Yeah. Cause I'd go in the stores and see what was available to them. And I'm like company, a company could do better than this and provide, yeah. you know, our knives aren't cheap, but they're attainable. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, with what you're doing, like you could choose, you could have chosen for the last 20 years to stay pro and, and, and be the top shooter on the planet. But I really respect what you've built with knock on with, you've built a brand and you've built this website. That's this, uh, it's this resource. That's like nothing else out there. Yeah. And in fact, a funny story, a guy was telling me, he went to a Denver archery shop before tack, before he drove over to Utah and he asked a guy to do a D loop and do some stuff. And he's, his loop was just kind of worn out. Yeah. And he said, the guy took it in a little back room and he was like, taking a while, taking a while. And finally he just kind of moseyed back there. And the guy was, had his D loop half tied and he had your, a video with <laughs> you playing. It was like a new bow tech. Yeah. And he was back there trying to tie this D loop. And the guy was like, give me my bow. I'll, I'll tie it home. <laughs> Cause I can watch the video and do it myself. <laughs> Yeah, but that resource, like literally, professionals are using it. Yep, you know, and the fact that you have spent that much time, and and we've done some of it, like it's it's a it's a time commitment, and and it's a money commitment. You're paying a videographer, and you're paying somebody to edit that stuff. And um, what you've done with Knock On is is so unique, and it's so cool. And there's really like I can't think of anything like that in the gun world, like you know the um with that much just information from one person out there, just, just giving away the information. Yeah. I mean, knock on is my passion. Like every, I, I, I'll work 
you know, this week, several times this week, I was already working by like 2.45, you know, mm. 3 a.m. I was already like working and making posts and putting some content out there. Um, I'll work longer doing what I have to do so that, so that knock on's digital platform can still be, you know, the source for people. But also like, I want to make sure people know, like, you know, like this past, this past year, uh, or I guess it's been a few years now, you know, I went to PSE, which was an awesome opportunity because the one thing I hadn't done was ever just really had my own bow that, Mm -hmm. you know, was not like, just like name on, on limbs or whatever. I really wanted to like, you know, be part of it. Like, like when I used to watch, you know, Matt or, you know, the Hoyt team, because I was lucky to have a decade at Matthews, a decade at Hoyt, and my first bow was a PSE, so it was a really, really good fit. But what, what was your first bow? The first one was the NTN. Okay. Yeah, just a just a flagship aluminum model. No, I meant your first bow. You said your, oh, your first, first ever bow was a PSE? Yeah, so the first... Um, Mine was a Thunderflight. Yeah, th- yeah, the first one that, that mm-hmm. I ever bought for myself was a Thunderflight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like I had a golden eagle, like Hawk Hunter or something. Yep. Um, that was like a hand me down. I don't even, I bet, I bet it was like five inches too long or something, but that like Thunderflight was the first thing that I ever bought for myself, you know, and it was a PSE from like Gander mountain steel mm-hmm. cables and everything. Yeah, um, I, I mowed lawns and, and and I was selling knives for I think my knives were around forty or fifty dollars at that time and I bought that was my first ever piece of hunting equipment that I bought that was like serious. Yeah. And lobbing those old aluminum Easton arrows out there. And I thought I was dropping bombs from forty yards. Well it was. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, you're you were lucky to get your pin down to 40 or 50 yards. Yep. Like that's just how it was. But, and that's the other thing. It's like most of what I killed was during an era where there wasn't this crazy debate about how heavy of an arrow you need. Right. Because honestly, if a, if an archery shop gave you some access, you just went out and killed stuff with it. You know, it was like, I think people start to push the, the, like the cutting diameter of the broadhead too far. And there's definitely, you know, people have to work around patents a lot of times too. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some broadheads out there that just aren't good designs. You know, it's, you just like, look, like I look at them like, well, that thing's going to whistle. Like that's going to, you got a string jumper just because of audible sounds. Or I'll look at one and be like, you know, a fixed blade with that much surface area, that thing's going to plane. You know, yeah. it's, it's gonna, it's gonna plane. So I feel like our equipment is, well, our equipment from an efficiency point of view is about maxed out. Like it's, it's maxed out. We need to take advantage of that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's freaking awesome. Like I used to shoot an arrow that was in the mid fours and that was back when bows, like everybody was fighting for 300. My arrow was like in the mid fours. Yeah. You know, and I could have a hunting arrow around 270 or 280 maybe. But as the bows have become more efficient, I've actually increased my arrow weight but kept my speed and everything, like, in that window of where I really liked it. Mm -hmm. So I've 
I have increased my arrow weight, but I've increased my arrow weight relative to the to the progress of the equipment, you know. Right. So I didn't go too extreme with it. And I you know, it's it's a subject that's always gonna have debate. You know, there's always gonna be like, you know, well, this is better, that's better. I just feel like I want people to to know the information and I want them to to kind of think of it logically too cuz like I can get lost reading I I've read a, I re, I just read a couple doctorate papers on on uh, aeroflight and I mean it's pretty deep stuff for me like yeah. even for me I'm just like you know if you're just looking at it from like a PhD in physics yeah it's complex it's like when you dive into metallurgy papers for steel, like right. you're, you're talking scientist stuff. Yeah, so I just <laughs> kind of like, I just took my arrows, you know, I fletched two two sets of arrows, one with the right helical and one with the left helical, and I started this whole thing by just shooting six arrows live. You know, I don't know, might have been, I don't know, I don't remember how, how many of the first groups were, but I just went live shot them all, didn't tell anybody what was going on. I went down there, you know, and they're all in an awesome freaking group at 70 meters. And I'm like, okay, here's what's kind of cool about this. For those of you who have been arguing right helical, left helical, what you want an arrow to do when it's coming off a string, like downrange, here's the results. Like you're wasting time on this when in the end, like, there's several different ways to get to the same exact spot, you know? Right. And you can certainly overcomplicate it. And if it's people that are young into archery, your most precious time is on a practice range. Like that is your most, most precious time. And here's the thing. Some of the best natural archers that I knew, uh, one of them, Honestly, one of them was like Jeff Hopkins. When I when I came up through 3D, Jeff was like freaking amazing. You know, he was an he was one of the best archers that I had ever seen. Um, had very different technique. Like I wouldn't coach his technique, but he was naturally just a you know he was a winner. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is like, well, even four years ago when I saw Jeff he doesn't like set up his own stuff, you know? And and back at the time, I think he had a coach Curtis that like would do his gear. So what they handed him, he just went and freaking shot and shot and shot and shot. And honestly, it might not have ever even been set up right. Right. But the point was that guy. Yeah. Because like, you know, a long time ago, um, I think Larry Wise told me about a quote from uh, Bud Folks, and it was, um, it was, you know, archery is only a two t- two step sport. Step one is learn to shoot a ten. Step two is repeat step one. Yeah, and I, I, I and I gave you lessons, so I know that you heard that. Mm-hmm. But you know, but what's what's like interesting about that is there's some people that are just a tiger woods they're natural they're they're a tiger they're a michael jordan you know right. they're they're a barry bonds whatever like there's some people that are that and their technique isn't gonna be what you see if you go to a swing coach you know right. what i mean 
there that technique is built for 99% of the population to be as efficient as possible and to get as close to that guy's raw talent but with perfectly polished skill right and so that's what i try to teach you know i don't like i don't try to waste time saying you know defending well so-and-so doesn't shoot that way. Okay, well, do you see anyone else shooting like so-and-so? Because here's the thing. That right. guy is a gift. Right. Like, he's a gift to the archery community. Right. You know, he is, like, that is a natural talent. So, well, and he might have put a lot more hours into getting as good as he is than you would need to. Sometimes more, because if you yeah. if the thing is when you learn improperly, and that's the thing, like, when it comes to a compound bow, the mistakes that you can make, like I posted a picture of Sharon, a slow motion shot of Sharon today, and it just shows the launch time of that arrow. In her bow, it's about 21 thousandths of a second. But, you know, with that cam having high let off and low poundage, and like a lot of times ladies or kids' bows have lower string tension, you know, it's just not mm-hmm. as taunt. So, I mean, when that release goes off, like the release hands coming back, but the string's still sitting there. And then all of a sudden the cams ramp up and they like take it forward. So during that fraction of time, your mistake in your front bow hand release hand and facial pressure is going to just completely change the outcome. It's funny. I, I saw that post and it was funny because some people were like, Oh, she punched the trigger. And it's like, well, that's a tension release. There's yeah. no trigger fingers. Her thumb is off the trigger. But I think people thought that because they see movement before the arrow leaves. But you responded to one of the comments and said, like, no, bro, that release has actually opened up or is in the process of of breaking and opening. And the cams haven't even started to move yet, which which to your point, I don't think a lot of people really like fully grasp what you're trying to get at, which is like, you can apply a lot of bad shit yeah. to that bow in that moment. Cause it, it actually lasts longer than you think when it's in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but you, you, like you say, the wrong pressure on your bow hand, the wrong thing, you, you know, you too much pressure on your face or whatever. Yeah. There's some bad things that are going to happen to that arrow when it leaves. And you're definitely not going to end up with consistency and see what happens is when, when, naturally gifted archers don't know how to work on their setup. They are forced to literally be so freaking repetitive that they can actually shoot bows that are not technically tuned um, and still outshoot people. Because if you put a tuned thing in their hands, well, then that's when, that's when you're going to just be like, I didn't know that was possible with archer equipment. Right. But those people, it's kind of like, you know, you, you were talking about the dude earlier that like had just a little tear and then he goes through and now he's got a worse one. Yeah. So like, that's kind of like what happens if you don't know how to work on your own gear, you almost have to shoot so good that you make it repetitive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and that's like in the, it's like know, the guy that golfs with the slice. He yeah. just knows yeah. I hit a slice, yeah. so I'm going to slice this yeah. baby. But he slices it down the middle every time. Yeah, like the happy Gilmore just walks up there and, like, takes a yeah. three-step whack at it. Yeah, that like that sort of thing, that's, you know, I hear this a lot that people say that, like, guitarists, the guitarists that we all loved from, like, 
70s and 80s, like, you know, these, because a lot of them have been passing in the last few years. They're like, they got that good because they weren't watching YouTube and like learning the hack of like how to, you know, how to cheat a G chord and a C chord, Mm -hmm. you know, by moving one finger. Like these guys had to sit around. They had to like strum and play with each other and like learn. Right. And, and so there was, and that's why like some of those just have such an incredible ear to like, to like tone and melodies and everything because they weren't like it synthesized. It wasn't playing it that way. So, I mean, that's, I want to be able to like every single thing I've ever done wrong. I want to be able to talk about it and like, hopefully someone can read mm-hmm. and try to avoid it. But yeah, like on our, on our website, we have the store. It's really divided into two parts. Um, we have the store, but then you can go into a full catalog and you can go into a whole WordPress side of the house mm-hmm. to where, you know, you can kind of find everything that you would have to scavenge you know, Google and, and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and like all these other spots where we have, you know, different content dropping onto, we always like put it in its home base right there. So that school and knock. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, it's, uh, it's cool and it's, it's incredibly helpful and it's, uh, and honestly, it's something that's, um, you know, it's motivating to, a brand like ours that are, we're in a different space, but there's a lot of things, whether it's technical stuff of how to sharpen a knife or even just understanding people watch forged in fire and they see a knife made in two hours. And they're yeah. like, Oh, that's easy. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, there's so much more to it. You know, like, do you know how much hit the cutting room for? Yeah. It, like that was shot over a week and a half. Yeah. And they watched it in 55 minutes on history channel, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so there's so much teaching that can happen even in our space that, you know, I think you're, you're definitely an example of what's possible, you know, to share more information and help and help educate the customers, you know. You know, what's cool is like when I come here, it's so cool to come to companies within our demographic and not necessarily archery companies. But when you come in, like the amount of companies like MKC, that you go in there, well, like, you know, I've got people that reach out from some, like, Silicon Valley type mm-hmm. things, and they'll send pictures, like, where there's, like, archery gear. You know, it's like, that's, you know, p- there's a lot of people that, like, they still can bring your bow to work, you know. Right. And so yeah. it's it's cool, like, down there in the lunchroom, it's like everybody's archery tackle hanging up. So it's really neat that there's people within, like, our worlds that they are like ate up with bow hunting and archery. Like it just seems like bow hunting and archery is for some reason is the common place for like a lot of our friend network. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our friend network, it really, it all comes down to like bow hunting or tack. Yeah. And like t- that's, it, that's, it all comes down to like, that's the common ground. That's the nucleus. And a lot of our, a lot of those bows down here are owned by people and shot by people so far that actually don't hunt with them. Cause they're not quite kind of confident enough yet, but they still love to shoot. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's kind of like golf. I mean, it's a camaraderie thing. Cause, and it's really kind of cool with our company is like, you know, there's a lot of repetitive tasks, right? You're assembling something, you're packaging something. And to be able to go outside 
And, you know, if you're standing at a desk and you're looking down all day and your shoulders are tight and everything's, you know, you're just kind of been in this bad posture place for the last four hours. And then they go outside and they can just shoot 10, yeah. 12 arrows. When you're going outside, you're doing something kind of challenging. You're breaking your mind completely away from what you've been doing, stretching out some muscles, have a little bit of fun. And, you know, every lunchtime there's two or three people out there. They shoot a couple arrows or they'll shoot it on a break. And then for sure after work, there's eight or 10 people out there shooting almost every night for 15 minutes. Yeah. And then they head home, you know, and, and, um, I found it to be something I think that helps break the monotony of some of the jobs that are more repetitive up. And, and it also gives some camaraderie for people who don't work together. You know, the, the office next door here is all marketing guys, you know, and it's, whether it's video guys or, or, um, you know, graphic design or whatever. And they don't really co-mingle with the people downstairs a lot. Right. But they can go out and shoot together. And I think it adds some camaraderie in the building that wouldn't exist without, you know, I'm definitely not going to let them go out out and all shoot pistols, (laughs) you know, and we don't have the spot really to do that right here. Yeah. Um, They do go out and shoot rifles and uh, getting ready for hunting season out in my horse pasture, but got horses running everywhere and the (laughs) cows and my wife's dogs want to run over the mountain, but... No, it's cool. We actually have got a drop coming up this week of all three of the knock-on knives, which is, that's Dang, the first time what? we've ever done that. I yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> nice. All three are coming out. Uh, uh, well, hunting season's around the corner, bro. I've got to stock up, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm the worst about, like, giving everything away. Uh, you're bad, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know you're bad. You gave me one of your first ones when we first met. That was um, actually probably the first MKC that ever... Like, cause I sold one the next day to Jody from Kafaru. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sold one to a guy on the course because he lost a bet with me. And so he had to buy it. <laughs> That's <laughs> he, awesome. We got, we, we met on the chairlift and, uh, shot together walking down the hill. Jess and I didn't know anyone. That was in 2020 COVID year tack. Yeah. And it was big sky. And we, I was sitting in my booth with like my mask on. Yep. You like came over. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, uh, Jess and I shot the course with these people we met on the chairlift. Guy happened to be a lineman from a different state, so we had that in common. We shot the course, and we got to the end, and there was the rabbit. And he was like, hey, if I I shoot that rabbit in the eye, can I get a free knife? And I was like, sure, but if you miss the rabbit entirely, because he's just shooting at the head. Yeah. I said, if you miss entirely, you have to pay full price. And sure shit, he he shanked the (laughs) shot and missed the rabbit entirely. And he came back to tack this year. Three years later, telling us how many elk and deer he'd been through. We actually have video of it. We're going to post it. Uh, he shaved hair off his arm. He's like, I haven't sharpened this thing. Like, and he comes back every year, and he's just, like, stoked about what what's going on. But um, it's just super cool. But, yeah, the knife that I gave you the first day was the first knife that we, like, sent out or gave out or anything, like, when we went to an event. And, and Brandon actually had launched the website the night before as we were driving into town. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so when Jess and I were pulling into Big Sky, he called and he's like, hey, man, because we weren't even business partners yet. <laughs> the website's live. Yeah, he called and he's like, your website's live. I'm like, all right, sweet. And then the next morning when I met you was like, all right, we're doing this. Like, we're going to start this thing. And that was that was like, basically, that was day one. Yeah. Of MKC. So it's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah, I mean, you guys are going to, you guys are going to skyrocket in this space too. It's, it's not like you're not refined to just the archery umbrella, you know, 
And even within the archery umbrella, it's like, you know, there's like bows and then there's arrows and there's like all these subcategories. Like knives are, knives are everywhere, you know. It's like, you know, even just, even just like the amount of times Sharon will like grab one of my good knives, like open a Amazon box. I'm like, babe. <laughs> don't use a good one. <laughs> yeah. You know, like use one of the Cutco ones or something, yeah. you know. You you know a guy that can sharpen them all though. So. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's it's going to be a good year though, I think. Well, I'm hoping uh to see a bunch of those things bloody for sure. Uh bunch of those knives. It's I'm uh, pretty simplistic. Like I I'm I'm usually like even when I'm at the tack, I'm normally in my, you know, my like art in my range pants. I'm normally, you know, I've got my bino harness, but like with my knives, I mean, I I'm no, I don't take a whole lot. I normally like yeah. the, those two last year, because um, I think I sent the triumphs back in December, didn't I? Something like that. Yeah. Or was it later than that? It was. I think it was a little later. Because had I had already done the whole year with them, yeah. I mean, yep. yeah, they were. It was like, yeah, it was after because you had done a ton with them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you started right out of the gate. We got you that one, and you started right out of the gate in Alberta last year. Um, yeah. Like, I was like, damn, he uh, he got off to a fast start. Because <laughs> I think you had a moose, you had an elk. And a and mule deer. And a down. mule deer, yeah. Yeah. And that was like, that well, was I think August. you got that knife from us, like, two days before you left. Oh, and that's right. six days later, it had been through three animals. I was like, damn. Yeah. John doesn't screw around. Last year was long. My, um... These two, these, my ring finger and my pinky on both my hands, like, froze up last year. Like, I was kind of like this by whitetail season from holding hide, you know? Oh, really? Yeah, from just skinning some. I love the breakdown process. So, like, if I'm with a friend and he whacks one, I'm just like, get out of the way, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, I don't trust you in there. (laughs) Yeah. Like, get out of the way. That's awesome. But, yeah, they worked freaking so perfect. And not. I haven't had I haven't had one person come back and be like, you know, I got the triumph, but I don't like it. Like, yeah, I have never heard that. Yeah, like everyone's just like, I got this one. I'm waiting for that one or whatever. It's so cool getting the pictures, and you know, people will tag both of us in them, and just it's cool that people take the time and they do the same thing with a bow or whatever. But like, that's the coolest moment maybe of their year, maybe of their life. Like when they have an elk down and they've been thinking about a hunt for their entire life and or for sure during that year, it's their most exciting moment of their life. And they actually take the time and have the thought process in that moment to go, oh, I want to get a picture with a knife in there or I want to get yeah. a picture with this with this PSE bow, this levitate, and I'm going to send it to John or I'm going to yeah. send this picture to Josh of the knife. Like they're they're in the middle of their best moment and they think to do that, which is really, really cool. Yeah, unless you've, like, had a child come into the world that you've been there, like, getting your first elk down is like, got to be right there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember my first, the first deer I saw, like, pile up. I just couldn't. I mean, I don't know what your body does to go into convulsions like that. But, like, I mean, it just goes into a, 
into a shaking frenzy that you just cannot stop. And I, I have the best video of Hank, and Brandon was there when this happened, but Hank shot his first bear when he was 12. He remained super calm. We had this long, long stalk. He kept trying to get him set up on with the scope, but it was raining, and he couldn't find it in the scope, and, like, bear would wander off. We just kept stalking it. We were within, like, 100 yards the whole time, following this bear, following it, and I finally get him set up, and, again, he's super calm, collected, Shoots this bear, you know, bear runs, stops for a second, walks out. Hank puts one more in him, and the bear rolls down the mountain. And I turn the video to Hank, and he just breaks into full body convulsions. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Do you think that's like, you know, like the uh, glow sticks when you pop them? Do you think that's like when that happens as a hunter, that's when you are officially hooked? I like yeah. that's like yeah. Dracula's freaking poison going in you and now you're just like a, a the endorphin sucker. dump is just yeah something broke in your head yeah i think when that happens you're officially a like a hunting fanatic yeah like during whenever if you ever go full convulsion mode like yeah you're never getting out of it and you're i can say for sure it's a good point because i think that was the most because he had shot a couple like does before yeah and he'd even shot a small buck but I don't know what it was, the stock, all the elements, everything leading up to it. It was a really pretty hard day. All to that, like, I think the moment just built to that. And like you say, at that point, like, he, that's a that's an infection that he'll never, there's not enough penicillin for. Yeah. He's a hunter forever at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I love, like, that's, that's when being a mentor. So I'm pretty upset um, about this topic because, um, I was the keynote speaker for the Pope and Young Convention, and I spoke, my, my, my whole talk was about mentorship, the word mentorship. And I pretty much timelined um, every important part of my life that has literally like paved a direction to bring me to where I am. And I had 10 people that were all mentors. It started with my grandfather you know, the first time he had me sitting in his lap, nine years old, went mm -hmm. out on a foggy morning in Natchez, Mississippi. And, you know, he, all of a sudden I saw this fan come up through the fog. You know, he was, had a box call. He was calling, kind of wrapped around me. And then, you know, had me look down that barrel and told me, you know, when that bead's on his head, let me know. And so that was like the beginning of it. And then my uncle became the mentor from like the archery side. And I went through this timeline, like Matt McPherson was one of them, um, you know, for sure. And Joel Maxfield was one of them. And uh, John Barklow is actually one because, you know, with, with Barklow, I said that, um, you know, Barklow taught me a really important part of mentor mentorship, which was the, you know, team. Like, yeah. cause, cause, when me and John and, and Stump all hunted together, you know, it was it was really obvious, like, this team community that with me never being in the military, I'd mm -hmm. never, like, really grasped that, like, brotherhood because I've always kind of been a loner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like to hunt alone. I like to work out alone. My office, my whole office and my dojo, like, there's two of them, but both of them are, like, I'm like alone. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I need that. Um, so I just walked through that whole mentorship aspect of this thing that we're in. And it's like so critical that that's what we all 
strive to become is we all need to be a mentor. And through that whole thing, when I got to the very end, I actually issued a challenge to the membership of the Pope and Young Club because I said, you know, I'm like, you know, there was, there's some clear statistics about a decline in, in hunting uh, license sales Mm -hmm. uh, now that the COVID bump is like slowed down. So, you know, there's always concern if our numbers are going down, right? So I like issued this challenge of just take one person. Like you take one person and, and, you know, and they get the convulsions. Right. Well, once they turn zombie mode, well, now they can go teach someone else, you know. Right. And, and it's like, and that's how we're going to grow. We're not going to grow because you're better than this guy or we're not going to grow because you're giving this guy better information than me. No. Right. We're going to grow when you take time off your schedule to go mentor someone. Yeah, that's and that's when I when I was growing up, because my dad didn't hunt, there was two guys specifically in town, and I look back on it, and it's pretty wild because we didn't really have like that close of a connection of some kind, like they weren't family or whatever. But I think I asked them enough at like basketball games and stuff, like about their hunting, that they finally just offered to take me. Yep, and you know Bruce West, um, you know guy that took me bow hunting and taught me about hunting elk. Um, he would pick me up in the morning and drop me off at our house and like just a random guy in town, you know, and he'd take me hunting. And then, you know, Rick Dunkerley who taught me to make knives, he was my little league baseball coach, you know, and he was an outfitter in town and he's the one that invited me up to make my first knife when I was 11. Yeah. So like, you know, that mentor stuff is, it can really change people's lives. I mean, everything I'm doing today is really because of that. If, if everyone out there wants to like give back to what I've given, Take one person hunting with you one time this year. Mm-hmm. Do it one time. Because, like, here's the thing. Um, if my grandfather and my uncle wouldn't have done that for me, there would be no knock on. Right. There, there's no way. If Bruce wouldn't have done that, there's a very good chance there is no MKC. Right. Because, right. you know, once again, the common denominator of it all is the primal thing that comes out of you during that like you know hunter gatherer right moment that happens on a hunt like Mm -hmm. you know if it if it weren't for those two mentors of ours taking a kid that honestly was probably being pesty right yeah there's no knock on there's no mkc right i mean so like all of us right now that have the ability to mentor someone if we do, then who knows what the industry is like, what brands will come down the road. And and honestly, maybe the big thing is we convert someone from mainstream right. that all of a sudden now, you know, which Rogan's obviously the biggest, right? I mean, Joe's the biggest for us for sure. Yep. But let's say we get someone in there that just like 100% has – the right approach for the mainstream to accept that hunting and knowing where your food comes from is a very, very, you know, important part of this ecosystem. Right. You know, so it it's all going to happen from one person going, yeah. you know, from one person going. The amount of women that 
go out and like go on a hunt, you know, their husband puts in for them and they kind of go just because, Mm -hmm. you know, but then all of a sudden, like the bug gets them. I see that at tack. I, you know, I say it all the time. The the ladies of tack are on a three year program. Year one is I really would just kind of wanted a nice hike. Year, Dude, you just define. You're defining my wife. Yeah, okay, well, I'm going to tell you. Three year, years ago, she walked along. Yep. And first, it's the walk along, and then the next year is they got a hand me down, or they kind of got a bow. They they're not going to shoot every shot. They're going to walk up, and they're just like yep. we're just out there to still get the hike, but I'll fling at a couple of the big ones. Yep. And then year three comes on, and some of these ladies are. Beating up on their dudes. No, Jess outshot everyone in the group <laughs> at Big Sky. It was her first ever shooting attack. Like she had walked two years in a row. That's awesome. And and I have I have I need to go back in my text. I have a photo from her when I was in bear camp with Derek Wolf. She sent me a photo, a selfie, and she has you standing on the on the screen on, in the living room with a string, you know, your string, like showing, you know, how to like release and everything you're doing. Yep. And she's like, I'm doing school and knock and she's home alone. I know you're doing like, that. You, you said, uh, you go, Hey bro, I don't know how, how I feel about the fact my wife's home alone and spending she, time and with you. She sends me a selfie and like, you're on the TV <laughs> yeah. in the background. <laughs> it's like, no, I was, that wasn't very stoked about it. Like, no, it's uh, but she did all that, and then I came home. I helped her set her tape, and six days later, we were at Big Sky, and shooting at 80 yards and, like, smoking them. It was unbelievable. Um, but And you're right, but it was a three-year process. The first year, she didn't know anything about it, walked along. The second year, last year, she was like, I really want, I think I want to maybe do this. And then by the time this year rolled around, she was, like, pressuring me, when are you going to get that bow set up? <laughs> When are you going to get that bow yeah, set up? You're, you're done now. And now she goes out and shoots by herself. Like, yeah. Women are know. the best students. Like for me, they're the ego isn't there that they are like, they are robots when it comes to like listening to instruction and focusing on the fine skills. It's, I mean, it's pretty awesome. The cool thing about like now, obviously there's a lot more information out there, but what is cool as well is there's brands like MKC and there's honestly there's brands like knock on because here's the thing i was on tv for 6 years and you know i wasn't like you had bill jordan you had michael waddell you had lee and tiff i mean like you had the primos like if you weren't in there you were kind of like fighting for one of those tiers right whereas now you know if you're if your heart's there if your heart's there and you're doing it for the right reason like you, these brands can be, can come and it gives us the ability to not see the thing is like um when i was trying to first get knock on going everybody was telling me what i had to do and mm-hmm. the and the thing that they were telling me is you need to pull the throttle way back on this like tech stuff right and, you know, on the network, they were sending me, like, new network rules where they're, like, three and a half minutes top for education, period. And I'm like, I would rather have my hunt three minutes. Right. You know what I mean? So it's cool that right now in today's era we're able to do that. We're able to have our own podcast. Like, yep. um, because with the right person, 
they're passion projects. You know, right. for you and Brandon, MKC is a passion project. Right. Knock on, knock on was a passion project for me. Giving back, I always wanted to be able to give back to the sport that mm. that did good for me. I always wanted to give back, and I'm lucky now. The partners I pick to work with, I'm working with them because I'm liking them. I'm not telling people to buy stuff because that's the only way I'm getting my income. There is there is nothing right, and and th- that's that. Like um, actually, on the way here, I just got called because um, our quiver won quiver of the year for outdoor life. Oh, cool! And I mean, I was like, well, this is freaking awesome because yeah. I literally just worked on building a quiver that was based on things that I wished all these other quivers had together. Right. You know, and the levitate was the same way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's cool that, you know, you can have companies and people to be able to now do a podcast, tell their story. And in the end, let the community understand who we are. Cause I mean, you guys have an awesome community yeah. We have an awesome community. I know there's crossover, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's because they, you know, we're being honest with what our passion is. And I think right. when people see that, you know, it was kind of like after this last tack and I saw another person with like bad arrow flight and, you know, and I was just like, dude, like there's middle ground. Like right. how long have you, and the guy's like, it has been so frustrating trying to switch over this year. Cause then I had to work on my own stuff. My shop didn't really want to mess with this type of thing. And I was just like, dude, like yeah. you're missing some of the awesome fun part. And so when I like, when I got back from Utah and literally went out my yard and like, just made this plea to everybody, it was insane. The amount of people that were like, that like we can feel through the through the phone that you're that you are so like passionate about this that it just immediately made people want to watch because they knew yeah like I'm talking about something that I'm genuinely wanting to help you with I'm not trying to sell you I'm not trying to hurt I'm not trying to make you go backwards I just like let's all go forwards like use all this information yeah so I think I think with mentorship, with the right mindset, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some amazing brands come into the hunting community that are going to help people build a great story and hopefully just deliver a really crystal clean image to, to the mainstream because we yeah. do need that. Too. That's important. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate it. I know you got you to head north. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lots of uh, plane troubles led you here about six hours late today. So yeah. it's a bummer because I know Jess wanted to shoot with you, and we'll have you we'll have you back out to the shop. We'll do some shooting and maybe grill some steaks next time. But <laughs> I know. I'm, but poor Barclow's out here waiting for you. Your taxi, John Barclow taxi ride. Yeah, so. thank you, John, for waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's, it's right. definitely it's an been honor fun, Josh. Working it's with been, you, and it's been amazing seeing you guys. Like, you know, it's. It's cool. I'm never going to get rid of that first knife. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. See you. See you.